Thank you, sir. I want to make sure I'm on because if I don't, yeah, brother Lee will be fussing at me. And if you have your Bibles this morning, be turning over the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be reading a few verses there in a moment. I trust that you've come this morning praying that God will have his way and uh, service today and that we'll go away being able to say it's been good to be in the house of God. Looks like the crowd might be down a little bit, but God knows all about that and he can take care of it. And my prayer is that God will uh, grow this church and make it be a strong lighthouse in this part of his vineyard. Now we're going to be speaking this morning upon the communion. Not long ago we had a communion here and uh, I just want to make sure that we all understand uh, what it's about and how it's to be carried on and the importance of it and the importance of doing it right. And so we're going to try by the help of the Lord this morning to bring a message on the communion. If you'll stand with us, we'll read out of the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, starting with verse 23. The Bible says, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it, and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye in remember, uh, as oft as you do drink it in remembrance of me. For as oft as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if, you would judge our, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not uh, together under condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity this morning of coming into this place that's been dedicated to your worship. Father, I thank you for each individual that have come this morning to participate in the service. And I pray that your blessed Holy Spirit will move in our midst and do his office work in our hearts. Lord, that your children will be stirred and drawn closer to you. And then, Lord, those that might be here without your son, Lord, that their eyes would be opened this morning to the need of receiving him as Savior while there is still time and opportunity. God, would you go with us now and give us the strength we need. Give us the wisdom, Lord, to understand, and Father, the boldness to speak forth what you've given unto us. We ask in Christ's name, amen. Let us make sure as we begin to look at this subject that I believe that nothing else should be mixed with the communion. It ought to be a service that is completely separated from all other things. It seems to be clear from the reading of some historical events that in the early days that the 
Christians had what they referred to as a love feast before the communion, something like what we might call our homecoming. But they did it uh, in a way that did not please the Lord. They came together, and the ones that had a lot to eat got over and had their little thing to themselves, and those that didn't have much to eat had to get by on the meager uh, portions that they had, and that did not please the Lord. It wouldn't please me if we did the homecomings that way. Uh, when we bring in food, if somebody brings in ten dishes, we put them on the table, and somebody brings in one dish, we put it on the table, and some come and don't bring anything. Everybody is just as welcome to eat as the one that brought the most. And uh, I, I remember Brother uh, Van was mentioning Brother Paul Nichols earlier. I remember one time, Brother Paul, we went to church together over in Woodbury, and Brother Paul said to me one day, he said, you know, I don't like to say much in the business meetings because I don't have much money to put in. I'm just on a pension, and that was after he had gotten where he couldn't work, and he said, I can't put in much money. And uh, here's the way I explained it to him, and this is the way I believe that it is. I said, Brother Paul, that offering plate comes around, and if I've got $100 to lay in, and you just have $1 to lay in, there's $101 in that offering plate, but we've given it unto the Lord, and therefore you've got just as much right as one of his children to say, what happens to that $101 as I do? Because we've given it to the Lord. And uh, I believe when it comes to this observance of the Lord's Supper, that we're individually responsible as we uh, partake of it, and uh, we're individually responsible unto the Lord. And notice here that uh, God never expected us to manifest ourselves as being greedy one toward another, but that we uh, treat one another in love. 1 Corinthians 11.34 says, And uh, if you hunger, eat at home. So we don't have, when we have the communion, we don't have uh, a feast. In fact, we don't have ice cream and cake on the night. And, and we don't do that necessarily because I think there'd be anything wrong with observing the Lord's Supper and then going back and, uh, and eating ice cream and cake later. We do it for the sake of time. So we have the communion on the fourth Sunday of uh, January and the fourth Sunday of July. And we have cake and ice cream uh, on the fifth Sunday, which comes four times a year. And that really doesn't seem fair, does it? We eat ice cream and cake more than we take the communion. But we'll be saying a little more about that as time goes along. We call this the communion or the Lord's Supper. And I suppose where it got the name the Lord's Supper is because it was instituted at night. On the night that the Lord was betrayed, he makes it plain that he instituted the Lord's Supper. So I always try when I have anything to say about it, is to observe the communion in the evening service. We want to get just as close to what the Lord did as we can. And so the instruction was given there that night and as they observed the Passover and, uh, and at the evening time. And he said, then, how often do we take it? We mentioned we take it twice a year. Is that right or is that wrong? Well, now, let's talk about how it, the Bible just says, as oft as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. 
Now, there are some churches that take the Lord's Supper or the communion every Sunday. Now, if you could do that and do it properly, I wouldn't have a big objection to it. But the truth of the matter is, if you understand your own heart, you don't have to understand the hearts of everybody, but if you understand your own heart, uh, if you did it every Sunday, it would get to be where it would be a routine. And you really wouldn't examine yourself like you ought to. You'd come in, someday you'd be tired. And you'd just reach and say, not even think about it and take the communion. Uh, you'd come in, maybe someday you felt bad, you were sick. You didn't feel like really thinking about it. And you'd be taking that in the wrong manner. Now, I know of one church, and I'll not call the name. I, I don't want to be critical of, of other individuals. God called me so far to pastor this church and not the church down the road. And, uh, but uh, there's one church that has a communion sitting in a Sunday school room in, in the back of the church, and the people that won't take the communion every Sunday just come through and uh, takes the communion off the table. That's as ungodly as you can get. That, that's as unscriptural as you can get. Now, I don't care. You may have some folk attending there, but that's unscriptural, and God's not pleased with that. I don't have a problem with saying that because I can back it up by the Word of God. Now, but he says, as often as you take it. Now, is it wrong to take it twice a year? Well, I think God leaves that up to the discretion of the church. There are some things that God doesn't command us, and he leaves to the discretion of the church. Over in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 18, he said to the church, if here's some things that if you bind it on earth, I'll bind it in heaven. If you loose it on earth, I'll loose it in heaven. Now, there are some things the church doesn't have a right to change. I can't come up here and, and to bring the church together and we vote to change the way God saves people. Uh, it don't make any difference how much we vote on a matter like that. God's not going to change his mind. Uh, we, can't, we can't bring the church together and, and decide that we don't, we're going to vote not to believe eternal security. It doesn't make any difference. God's got to change his mind on those things. We can go on through several fundamental doctrines that God's not going to change his mind on, but there's some things that God leaves up to the discretion of the church. Now, we meet on Wednesday night for a midweek Bible study. There's nowhere in the Bible, for as I know that it says, you should meet on Wednesday night for Bible study. We can meet just as well on Thursday night. Uh, we can come every night and it wouldn't hurt us. But uh, uh, you see, uh, there's some things that God leaves to the discretion of the church. And so uh, I'm assuming at least that God leaves the, the times that we uh, observe the Lord's Supper to the discretion of the church. But now you'll say, could you give me a scriptural, re uh, scriptural reason to, uh, for a time to observe the Lord's Supper? And I'd have to say not dogmatically. But if I had to, if, if I was put in a place where I had to give a scriptural re reason for when to observe the Lord's Supper, I'd have to say the only thing that I can say is that Christ instituted the Lord's Supper in place of the Passover. Now the Passover was an Old Testament ordinance or command. It was for, for the remembrance of the time that the death angel came through Egypt and took every newborn out of the household that didn't have blood on the door lintel and on the doorpost. And so 
God wanted Israel to remember that. And once a year, they had a big feast to remember the Passover. It was connected to the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted for seven days and so forth. We'll not go into that. But that was an Old Testament command. But the communion was instituted in the place of the Passover for the New Testament church. And so, uh, as close as I could get to say, if we observed it was the year, it would be pleasing unto the Lord. Now, I don't think it's displeasing if we observe it more than that, if we do it right. But as often as you do it, he said, do it in remembrance of me. And uh, it's not an event that's thought up by man. Paul said, I'm telling you what I received of the Lord. I'm telling you what God told me. And so it is that this is uh, not something that we have discretion over. This is something God commanded us to do. And he said, here's the way that Christ instituted the first communion. He said he took bread. And bread represents his body. His, he, he is the bread of life. But he said this bread represents not only my life, but my broken life. He was speaking of the time he'd be hanging on a tree there on Calvary. Now let me throw this in. This doesn't have anything to do with the communion. I want to throw this in just for a little bit of admonishment to you. If you ever want to be used of God, God's got to break your spirit first. As long as you walk around, I can do this, I don't need any help, I'm well trained, I'm talented, I'm all this and I'm that, God will never use you like he wants to. You've got to he's got to break you first. I, when I was thinking on that, I thought about, I, I never was much of a horseman. I don't know if we've got people in here that, knows about horses or not, but I, I probably could count on one hand the number of times I've been on a horse. I just don't care about riding horses. But I've got a son that does. And, and my daddy used to mess with horses pretty good. And I know this much about them. Uh, before that you can gentle a horse, you've got to break his spirit. Is, is that pretty close to right, Brother Roger? You don't know about horses. He rides tractors. He doesn't ride horses. And you can't break a tractor's spirit. You might break it, but you can't break its spirit. But I, I, I don't remember this event, but uh, my daddy used to tell this story that there were some horses came in on a train that had never had a bridle on them. And he purchased two of them. They looked just alike. He got on one of them and he rode it and it turned out to be a good horse. The other one... He never could break its spirit. Every time he got on it, he'd run and buck and jump. And, and finally one day he got on it, and it got so wild, it ran into a tree and broke its neck. Never did break his spirit. And so therefore, the horse never was any good. Now, that may be a crude illustration, but I want you to know this morning, as a child of God, if God can never break your spirit, he can never use you. You'll say, that sounds kind of strange to me. You see, what God has to do is get you to the place where he controls you. You understand? Uh, we, we don't control God. We don't tell God what we want done and where we want to go and what we want to do. God tells us. 
And so God has to break that uh, carnal spirit that we have in us before he can use us. Well, that's, that, you don't have to write that down. That's, that's not part of the sermon. But he said the bread represents my broken body. Now, when we have communion, what kind of bread do we use? We use unleavened bread. What does that mean? No seasoning in it. Now, I think Connie usually makes the, the bread. And uh, she goes and gets plain flour. Now, you can't use chef rice because it already has some leaven in it. It has salt and so forth, baking powders or whatever makes it rise in it. You have to use plain flour. And you just mix water with it. Now, why is that? Because in the scripture, leaven always, as far as I know, without exception, leaven always represents sin. And that bread that is a a representation of the body of Christ cannot have sin in it. He was a sinless one. Not even God found in his mouth. So it's important the kind of bread that you use. We don't use crackers. We don't use salted crackers. We use unleavened bread. As I said a few moments ago, there was a feast that was with the uh, uh, Passover celebration uh, that uh, lasted for seven days called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then he said after the same manner, after he had taken the bread and break it, he blessed it. And that's what we do. We take that unleavened bread and, and uh, we pray over it and ask God to bless it. Now, let me say this right quick. That bread, that bread does not come to become the body of Christ. There are, there are people who believe that. There are churches who teach that. That once you pray over it, it literally becomes the body of Christ. Now, there's some things there that would, would uh, contradict that. Number one, if that literally became flesh, we'd be, eating, we'd be flesh eating. And number two is, there's always some left over and you'd be discarding part of the body of Christ. It is not the body of Christ. It is a representation of the body of Christ. And so we bless it, and then we pass it out. And then the Bible says after the same matter, he took a cup. Now, here's what messes people up sometimes. In the old language, the same word that was used for grape, for grape juice, or for fermented wine was the same thing, was the same word. And so people get that messed up sometimes. But the cup that we use is pure grape juice. Now, why not fermented wine? Some people use fermented wine. Why not fermented wine? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Number one, God said a man that just look at it, it's a fool, and I don't, I'm foolish enough. Now, but, but the main reason is that in order to have wine, it has to start spoiling, which represents, again, sin. And so it's got to be unleavened bread and pure grape juice. That's important. You ought to demand that that's true. And uh, if I was in a communion service and that wasn't true of the uh, material that they're using, I wouldn't partake of it. So it ought to be unleavened bread, pure grape juice. And God said in the same manner he blessed it. 
and then he passed it around. And uh, then he said, as, you, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. When, when you partake of the communion, remember how much God loved you. He loved you enough. Christ loved you enough to die on the cross. But the Father loved you enough to let his son die on the cross. I'd have heat brother died on the cross and let one of my children die on the cross. And I'm sure God loves more than I do. But they loved us enough to let that happen. And he said when you partake of that communion, you ought to remember that. It ought to be a refreshment in your mind and in your soul. He said, then he said, how long ought you do this? He instituted it just before, on the night he was betrayed, just before the crucifixion, and he said, you do it till I come again. Throughout the New Testament age, throughout the age of grace, it's to be observed. There's a blessing in the observance of the communion or the Lord's Supper. Then verse 27 of that chapter says wherefore because of this because that the bread represents the body of Christ and the cup represents the blood of Christ because of this whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily now I'm afraid too many I started to say I'm not too smart and I was afraid the house would resound with amen but unworthily is an adverb. Now there's a little trick. There's not many school children out here, but there's a little trick sometimes if you're learning the parts of a, a sentence. Uh, if it's got an L-Y on it, the large majority of the time it's an adverb. Unworthy. It didn't say that you're unworthy. And I'm afraid people take that sometimes. I'm not worthy and you're not. I'm not worthy to take of the Lord's Supper. But he's not saying if we're worthy. The only way that we could be worthy in any stretch of the imagination is, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What if I forget a sin? What if I forget to say, Lord, cleanse me of my secret sins? But I, I, I would never feel worthy to partake of that. But he's not saying that. He said, do it in the right way. Don't do it in an unworthy way. Don't do it in the wrong way. Have the right ingredients. We've already talked about that. And then he says, uh, if you let a man examine himself, that's part of getting it worthy in a worthy way. Let a man examine himself. I thought as I was putting this together, you know, what if you had an interview for maybe for a, a high position in somebody's company or, or maybe you was going to meet with a high-ranking official of the government or something or other, and you'd get all dressed up, and you'd get your suit, uh, suit on, and you'd get your shoes shined, and you'd get somebody to tie your tie just right, and you'd get your hair uh, all fixed up, and then you'd get in front of a mirror. you begin to look. Man, do I look all right? You'd examine yourself. Now, that's physical. But that's what God says spiritually. We ought to take time to examine every small aspect of our lives before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we ought to be honest about that before the Lord. And he said, let a man examine himself. This is serious business. 
What if I don't do that? What's going to happen if I don't take time to examine myself? God said, if you don't examine yourself, I'll judge you. If you don't judge yourself, I'll judge you. Now, I don't want to be judged of the Lord. I don't know about you. But if God judges us, he'll chasten us. He'll whip us. But let us notice verse 31. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But if we uh, be judged, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. God said, if I have to do the judging, I'm going to whip you for it. Now, uh, what's the result? Uh, let, let, let's notice something else before we go on to the result. He said, if a man eateth and drinketh, verse 29, eateth and drinketh, he, he eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Now that doesn't say to his soul. He's talking in the physical sense here. He doesn't say if you take of the Lord's Supper unworthily that you'll be lost. Because once you get saved, you're not going to get lost. But he says here that you'll, you'll have damnation to yourself. And he makes plain that he's talking about in the physical sense. For he says, because some have done that, they're weak. Now, now he's talking about here about weak physically. But it'll also make you weak spiritually. But God's talking about physically here. He said, not only are some weak, but some are sickly. Why? Because they've partaken of the Lord's Supper in the wrong manner. And then he said, there are some that are asleep. In other words, he said, some have died. Because they've not been serious about the way they received the Lord's Supper. You say, I don't believe that. Talk to God about it. I'm just telling you what he said. I mean, it's there in plain English. And then he said, when you get through with all of this, over in the book of Matthew, when God was inspiring the uh, apostle there to write about it, he said, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out. So that's what we do. We bring the deacons up here. We make sure they've got unleavened bread and pure grape juice. We let them pass the bread. And he says, they tarried one for another. Don't, don't take it as soon as you get it. Wait on everybody else. And we pass the cup. Don't take it as soon as you get it. Tarry one for another. And then we receive the communion. And when it's over, we sang a hymn. We sang a verse of a song. Usual thing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. And then we go out. And as far as I can tell, that's the proper way to receive the communion of the Lord. There's a blessing. I, I preached on this one time and a young Christian decided he'd never take the communion because he was afraid to, he'd do it wrong and there'd be consequences. But you see, to refuse to do what the Lord says is... Uh, dangerous also. And you're not only uh, in danger of rebelling against what he's commanded you to do, but you're in danger of missing some blessings that God has in store for you when you do it correctly and you uh, remember the death of the Lord. He'll encourage you and stir you up. And so just make sure you do it right. We'll ask you to stand if you would, please. We had a prayer and song leader come. I'll ask Brother Max, he'll stand on my right.
Brother Chris, if you'll come over on my left. These men are here to help you this morning if you need spiritual counseling. The altars are always open. We want to encourage you to come. If you have something in your life you need to pray about, or maybe the Lord has laid someone upon your heart that needs help from him, and you'd like to come to that altar and petition him to help those individuals. We invite you to come as we sing, Brother Van. 280. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home, why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercy? Mercies for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, oh sinner, come home. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home, earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home, oh for the wonderful love he has promised. Promise for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. 